Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, Brad Gray, your host, and this is episode number 14. And I'm so stoked to be talking today with Daniel Emery Price. Dan is, of course, the founder of the Christ Hold Fast website, uh, a site that I regularly read, and I'm sure you do too. But Dan is primarily a pastor first. He's the lead pastor of Trinity Church NWA in Bentonville, Arkansas, and I've been able to meet Dan a few times, but it was an honor, an extreme honor to have him on the show and just talk about Jesus and his grace. And in this lengthy conversation, we dive into the good news and what that really means. We hope to answer the questions, what is the gospel? What is faith? And have we misconstrued and misunderstood both? Dan also reminds us that the message of Jesus is the message that he holds fast to you, even when you don't hold fast to him. And Dan also posits the question, what if we preach to everyone as if they're dying? This was an absolutely thrilling conversation for me personally, and I trust you will be encouraged by it too. Today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, that helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires lifelong discipleship. You can find out more about the Christian Standard Bible by going to csbible.com. Now for Dan Price. For those of our listeners who are maybe unfamiliar with you and what you do and what you're passionate about, and just sort of introduce yourself in a few words if you can. Yeah, um, well, uh, first and foremost, um, I'm a pastor. So uh, I pastor uh, Trinity Church NWA, which the NWA is not like the rap group, but the uh, the area in which I live, which is uh, Northwest Arkansas. It's sort of uh, in the very Northwest corner. It's where the University of Arkansas is located, Bentonville, which is uh, for Walmart territory. It's kind of a up and coming booming area. And so that's... um, that's where uh, that's where I'm located, and so yeah, so I have a I pastor a church here, um, which I was involved in planting, and then ended up uh, becoming the pastor of, and then in addition to that, uh, I'm the uh, director of Christ Hold Fast, which is a law gospel collective. Um, so it's it's a group of people. Uh, it's a it's a whole a whole bunch of different people uh, from all over the country that come together. That uh, we produce different podcasts. Uh, I co-host a couple of them. Um, we try to give visibility to other podcasts and kind of stamp them with our with our logo. 
Um, and then uh, we have we have blog a running blog. We try to release content um, five days a week. Uh, so any day that you go to ChristolFast.org, um, there should be something new there. Um, it's either a, a, an actual blog, like an article, or it'll be um, some other kind of content that's released, you know, like a, a video of that or something like that. But um, and then we do uh, conferences and um, like and city events where we go and and um, have these hangout things, and we have all these speakers come, and it's it's a great thing, man. I, I'm I'm a collective dude, so I don't like to do things alone. Um, I know a lot of guys, um, you know. Um, have, I, they have blogs and they have podcasts and somehow they're able to do that like by themselves. And, uh, I understand how you can manage one by yourself. Cause that's my, that's my job. So I, I, I man, I can, I can manage this stuff, but, um, I just love working with people. And so, um, one of the, the big things about Chrysler fast is that it is a, it is a collective of people. So it's a group of people that are like-minded that are passionate about, um, the, the gospel and uh, properly distinguishing between law and gospel and the radical grace of God um, and pursuing those who are outside the church, pursuing those who have been busted up by the church, those who are just fed up with evangelicalism as a whole and, uh, and telling them that um, maybe I reject the same things they reject. And, and, but maybe that's not, maybe they haven't actually rejected Christianity. Maybe they rejected something completely different. And, uh, hmm. and so that, that's what we do. So we, uh, we produce, um tons and tons of content to that end and it's it's a great group of people man i I feel uh, ridiculously blessed that so many people have jumped on board so many super talented gifted speakers writers communicators have jumped on board and uh and want to have one collective voice and i think that that is um i think there's something powerful about that where um where you don't have just sort of this one face but that you have all these voices coming together to do one thing, to pound one drum, to speak one message. And uh, that's, that's what we're about. So we're not about trying to, you know, uh, elevate one person or, or, or anything like that, but uh, to, it, it really does. A collective makes it to where uh, hopefully it becomes evident that it's not about the messengers, but it is about, it is about that message. Mm-hmm. That's so, awesome. I, I loved what Christ Old Fast has done ever since it really started. And then when you guys have sort of rebranded and stuff and it's just all the stuff you guys have been doing is just phenomenal. I'm just greatly encouraged by it and benefited for it. So hey, thank you. Well, well, you know, you're, I don't know if the listeners know this, but I'm not sure they do. They should, but I mean, Brad, <laughs> Brad is part of that collective. <laughs> he is a writer there. Uh, you, don't believe it. you can go there and you can see his face is on there. At some point. <laughs> Somewhere on there. Yeah. Um, so uh, let me ask you though about Trinity NWA because I know that's really where your heart is, and you can do all these other things, but your heart is pastoring and to pastor a church. So let, and uh, that's really for our listeners is they may be thinking the same things of going into ministry. And so when did you really sort of first feel God's call on your life? And I know we'll touch on this later probably, but that's a longer story. But when did you really first feel God's calling for you? You know, it's weird. Um, I'm the son of a pastor, so I, I grew up in church, you know, and um, and so as a PK, <laughs> um, I was always involved in church stuff. I was also mm-hmm. a, a musician at a very young age, and I, I got into um, got into rock music. I was in a like a post hardcore Christian band um, from the time I was 15 until the time I was about uh, oh 
27. Um, so, um, so, but I, that also meant that I was involved in like leading worship and, and playing in worship teams and stuff like that um, for the church. Um, the, my band was then playing like, you know, tons of youth events and this kind of stuff. So um, as much as that's considered ministry and certainly like leading worship is ministry, but um, doing things in a church context was just part of like the way I grew up. Right. Um, when I got out of high school, I moved to Seattle uh, and uh, with, the, with my band and we were on the West coast for a couple of years. And uh, after that, I ended up moving to Phoenix, Arizona, where I um, decided that uh, a str- struggling rock star does not pay the bills. <laughs> so I had to do uh, something else. And, uh, and so I started working and the sort of stuff. I ended up at a church, um, got involved in wor- leading worship again, hadn't done it in a long time. But, the, but really the transition from like struggling Christian rock star to evangelical worship leader is pretty seamless. Uh, which is probably not a good thing. It really shouldn't be that seamless, but it's pretty seamless if if you're in the right church or in the wrong church. Uh, And so I did that for a while. I was then like kind of thrust into a collegiate ministry. Uh, I was, which is dumb because I was pretty young at the time, Uh, probably too young to be leading people that were exactly the same age as me. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, but I was doing that. It was a very large church and, um, I was, I was, you know, because of my upbringing, I, I understood the Bible as far as uh, how to get how to get around it. I knew what it said. I didn't know what it meant, uh, but I could. Uh, I had opinions. I've always been opinionated, uh, and so I was. A, I was a pastor. I was a pastor's kid, so I got small groups and stuff. You know, I had opinions on stuff, and and uh, I think that kind of thrust me into like leadership roles that I probably like I probably shouldn't have been in because mm-hmm. I was outspoken and at least had the appearance that like i knew this book uh, because i had been spoon fed i mean i was up for but you know I, I came from a pretty disciplined family and i was up at six o'clock in the morning for family devotions my whole life you know so i mean i was spoon fed this stuff and so um what i i sort of had a crisis though uh towards the end of that where i realized that i didn't have any idea why i believed what i believed it was just the stream and sort of the the things I had been taught and maybe they were right, but maybe they, and maybe they weren't. And, and that started to really bother me. Uh, The church I was in, I felt like there wasn't a lot of authenticity there that bothered me. And that, and I didn't really, and I wouldn't have said those words then that it was fake or something like that, but, but there was something that now looking back, I I know that that's what it was. It's not, there's not enough sincerity here. Um, I was also felt like a huge fraud because um, I felt like I was, while being in leadership, I didn't feel like my, my, I could live up to it. Um, I felt like a pretty big failure. You know, like my devotional life wasn't like up to snuff. My prayer life wasn't up to snuff. Like I was still too big a sinner in any number of areas. And, uh, and so um, I sort of just quit and uh, I quit and I moved to, I moved to Arkansas um, I spent the next five years um, studying church history and um, and giving sort of every theological tradition it's hearing. So I, I just began reading and pouring over uh, every sort of tradition's best theologians. So like, all right, you know, Greek Orthodox, let me read all your guys. All right, Reformed, let me read all your guys, you know, whatever it was. All right, you know, Catholics, the whole thing. 
So I spent five years doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, at the end of it, sort of like landed in a, in a reformational thought. Um, and I figured that like, man, I think Luther had a lot of good things to say. I, I think he's got it right. I think, I think that, I think he's right. Um, which was a long jump from where I started. Cause I grew up, um, um, pretty like in the, in the charismatic movement. So, um, it was a, it was a pretty big jump, but most importantly, even more than all of the differences sort of between those, the big difference was that I had like felt like for the first time, I really, really, really understood the gospel. And that did something to me at that time. I was also a part of another church. I was, I had got suckered into playing worship there. I didn't want to, but I, I accidentally visited the church and I got sucked right in. Um, and, um, I ended up leaving there uh, with another couple and we just started a Bible study in their house or, or in his office like on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and it kind of, um, you know, we had the idea that like, Hey, but like maybe we could plant a church or something. And, um, and that, that's what ended up happening. And so, you know, when I actually, you know, we, we asked like, so that's a long answer, probably longer than you wanted. Uh, <laughs> uh but like feeling that like yeah the calling ministry like honestly, um, like we were me and him were gonna kind of do this together and it, and it's sort of and, and he's still around like he's still like a like one of my best friends in the world he's still like still at the church and everything this and um, you know it's it sort of just like it kind of became that I was the pa- I became the pastor there by by the call of the congregation like more people started coming and they and they sort of just decided that's the way it would be and then I and then I went and got more education and stuff but um you know it it was um for me it was a very long thing and I, and I think that that's not the case for everyone i don't want to say that you all have to have like this sort of thing i don't think you do um but i very much i have a very high view of the call um the external call now there is like an inward call where, where you just sort of feel like god is calling you to ministry for me uh i was I don't, I don't know when, when I felt that because I was, I was pretty turned off to sort of subjective emotion at that point as an overcompensation from the tradition that I had come out of. So um, the charismatic movement was so focused on like how you feel and, and like what the spirit's leading that I sort of shut all that down. And I wanted just to just look at objective thing, objective mm-hmm. theology, objective truths. So I don't know where that, like, if that was there, like feeling led kind of thing in it, um, because I think I pretty much suppressed all that. Um, but what I, I do, I do feel that now that like, absolutely that, but even more than I feel it, um, I look at the external call um, of people. So like the fact of the matter is, is that there's a church that is in Bentonville, Arkansas, like and it's full of people and they have called me to give them the gospel on Sunday morning and to pastor and shepherd them. Um, and I think that that's a huge thing. Um, so a lot of theologians talk about the external and the inward and the internal call. So you, um, you might, you first feel sort of the called to ministry. Um, and then I really do believe that when a, a group of people like say like, you're our guy, like that's that's where the money is at. Like, like I don't mean the actual money. I mean like that's that's where the certainty is at. Like you take that to the bank. Like when the church calls, whatever church, you know, like got 
15 people in a in a basement of a you know of a department store and they're all christians and they say like we want you to be their pastor like that you take that stuff seriously like that's mm-hmm. um that god still works through means and like that's he in that situation he's using those people his his believers his children to say like this is like we want you you know and that's so that is the affirmation the the objective affirmation of sort of the subjective inward call that you have and i i'm sure i felt that because i mean i left a church to do a bible study and i obviously had a desire for that but i i think i overcompensate i put very little stock in it at that time uh, which i'm not saying that other people should do because i, I do believe that was an overcompensation on, on my part um mm-hmm. which i wouldn't do now <laughs> Well, I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned, because I had forgotten that you were a pastor's kid, and I am too, so I can really relate to a lot of the things that you probably went through just growing up in church and growing up around a church and being in, for lack of a better word, the spotlight. And I hate to use that word, but and that's it is what it is. Okay. And, you know, growing up, um, you know, and you hear all these stories about other kids' childhoods and stuff like that, I, I always like to say that, I am so grateful for my heritage and growing up in a Christian home, but I also say that kids that grow up in church from their birth are almost more dangerous than anything else because they can take for granted a lot of the things that they have learned and they've learned, like you said, that they've been spoon fed, so to speak. And can you speak to that? Cause I really have felt that and that now the last like six years, I've almost had like a resurgence or reawakening to the things that I should have appreciated when I was younger. But anyways, that's probably a longer question and maybe not even a question, but. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, there is, you have that sort of pressure, like not, I mean, it kind of depends on what your makeup is. Like, like all in all, like I was a pretty good kid. Um, despite the fact that I was, you know, in like a post-hardcore band and I, I sort of looked like a punk, like, I actually didn't misbehave. I wasn't like super rebellious. Um, didn't didn't like you know. Uh, that all came later. Uh, my, like my greatest screw ups are as an adult. Uh, but but there but there there is sort of this pressure that you're like I can't like embarrass dad right. I mean like you know like <laughs> that happens to pastors. It's difficult, man. Like, be, like I, I can tell you this. I, I don't know about like all the things I took for granted and stuff, but like I do know this: that when I was um, a teenager, and I always had a and still do had a really great relationship with my parents, still and we still have a great relationship. Um, I loved my mom and dad. I had great parents, and I when I was a teenager. They went through a church split over some something really stupid, and uh, I saw my dad. Who? Well, let me just say this about my dad: when I go back home, so I don't live in the same area that my my parents live in, but when I visit there, and I it's a smaller town, but if I go walking through like Walmart or something or like or wherever, and people see me, they know who I am. Uh, not not because of me, but because of my dad. And they'll, and they'll say, you're Dale Price's cousin. And I'll say, yeah. And like, dude, this can be like the alcoholic. That's, this can be like the meth addict. 
this could be the dude that, like hadn't been in church in forever. My dad has such a reputation in like that community. They'll be like, and like, doesn't matter who it is, they'll say your dad's the real deal. Hmm. Right? So that's the kind of guy he was, and I saw like him getting maligned like during this church split, and I don't, I don't think I realized it until later, but it really soured me because like what I saw was my dad pouring his life into like these people, and then like so often. They, they like they didn't get it like they, they were unappreciative they, they like they took advantage of him and he would just like give and give and give and that made me a little bit cynical of the church i think um and and it took a it took a while for that to sort of um wear off and um and so um i i so i kind of like church hopped around and was in and out of church uh through you know from about you know for about about 20 to 25 because i just i didn't want to get too close um I, my view i i believed you know i believed um that jesus was the son of god and died for my sins and like all of this uh stuff that you're supposed to believe but um but the church itself i was a, i was like yeah those people like are messed up sometimes man and not in a messed up way that i was messed up like hey i'm a i'm like not perfect and i'm a sinner but like they'll like do messed up stuff to you, which obviously is part of being a sinner. Uh, but uh, but but when you're a kid, you're like, why are these people doing this? You know. Um, mm. So like yeah, being being that is that is difficult, and and because of that, um, I think that I I I missed out on. Um, I, I think that makes it tough for pat, preachers' kids because they're they're too on the. No matter how protected you are, you're too on the inside to sort of experience church like a normal parishioner, you know, a normal mm -hmm. member of the congregation. That's almost impossible for a PK. Uh, mm -hmm. So, like, because of that, yeah, I didn't have my experience in church is different than everyone else's experience in church, even from a little kid, because I see the inside of it. Like, I, I know everything that's going on. Uh, I, I see, like, um, I see behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. you know which which doesn't prep you for ministry probably like makes you <laughs> never want to do it <laughs> <laughs> in some senses yes because <laughs> you can see just exactly what you touched on is the fact that you your dad is pouring over this sermon or he's pouring his self himself into these people and it's never really appreciated because pastoring is a very thankless job and i'm not saying that they should be seeking out thanks but you're never really like rarely if ever do you ever get you know hey that, thank you so much for meeting me in my need it's always what you're not doing or you know hey, your sermon is not this way or whatever so well, what people think that, that so many people like think of pastors and, they, and there's like uh like a, that's like a like and i'm not okay there's two this is there's two sides to this let, let me okay if you're going into ministry about ministry, let me give you like two. I'll give you two things here. There's like two sides of this. Like, be in the middle of this. <laughs> One, people be like, like, there will be people that think that your job just consists of like getting up and talking for like 40 minutes on Sunday, and like they're like, man, that's an easy job. Okay, of course, mm -hmm. that's ridiculous, and like that's not what you're doing. And and this this preaching the sermon is the easiest part of what you do. That's <laughs> Part the easiest part of my week is standing up and talking. 
<laughs> not an issue. Like that, I, that's the easy, that's the easy stuff. It's the rest of it that's difficult. Uh, the, the dealing with everybody's stuff, the, the pastoring, the shepherding is the hard part. Not the, not the mm-hmm. sermon. Preaching a sermon is not, not difficult after you've done it a while anyway. Uh, you know, prepping for a sermon takes time and stuff. It's still, it's still not hard work. It, you know, this may be tedious, but like the difficult stuff has to do with people and loving people and like helping people. Mm-hmm. How, so that, that, so it's not easy. The flip side of that is I also hear pastors. I talk about as if their job is so, so hard. So like I hear guys like I, they may, this might be like a Lutheran thing. So like in the Lutheran tradition, like when you get during like Holy Week. So this is Holy Week is like, you know, like um, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, all this stuff. Right. And pastors would be like, oh, it's Holy Week. I am just work to the bone. And like they'll say these kind of things. I'm like, bro, you can't like look out in your congregation which got people in there that are working like in, on factory lines or like are like m- m- carpenters or miners or like <laughs> whatever and start to be like, bro, I preached like three sermons this week. It was crazy. <laughs> don't do that either. So like, don't act like your job is like the most difficult in the job. It's mentally exhausting and emotionally wearing, but it's physically pretty easy. Um, <laughs> so don't like, and when people think of hard work, they're usually thinking about like that physical taxing job. So don't talk about your job. Like it's difficult in that way because like a blue collar dude might like, be like, yeah, bro. I like, was digging ditches for 60 hours this week. I'm sure like, <laughs> I'm sure that 40 hours in the study was really tough. Um, one of the taglines for Trinity church in WA is the historic faith for sinners and saints. Can you sort of explain that? Cause I like it, but I just want to know what that means. <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, when you have a – okay, so in a day where churches have websites, um, churches sort of have to have sort of, you know, uh, slogans. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember – like honestly, this is where it came from, is as we – when we built the website for the church, um, the new website, so it's – I don't know, it's, it's a couple – maybe two years old. Um, there's a sort of spot in it where it's like, yeah. And then you have like, you know, sort of your mission statement or your vision statement or whatever that goes right here. And I'm like, yeah, we don't really have one of those, Um, you know, and you don't want to like, and you're trying not to say something just like we preach the Bible or, you know, or or like get something like super cliche, which is, or something that's become cliche, which is like, you know, Christ centered or something like that, where it's like, well, every, like everyone says that, like, you know, so and so it made me have to think about, man, okay, so, which is a good thing to do. Uh, like, what, if I have to say something in a sentence, like, what is this about? Like, what are we doing here at this church? Um, so I did, I, I thought about it, and um, and that's what we ended up coming up with. And uh, it was the historic faith for sinners and saints, and so it, and it and is now on like sort of everything. I mean, it's on the stick, it's on the bumper stickers, it's on the you know, not the, it's on everything, everything that has the church thing on it, it ends up being on there. And um, and what and and what it, the thought process was behind it is that um, we want we want to be a church that's sort of rooted in history that doesn't like sort of uh, blow off. Um, all the all the 
the church before us, right? So um, we want to stand on the shoulders of giants. We want to be historically rooted. And so uh, even in our church, so we, we have a, we don't use like the historic liturgy, but we use many elements from it. So we, we take things that we think are valuable from the past, like the, like the apostles creed. And, you know, yeah, we, we, um, you know, we, we do it uh, with, you know, there's some music behind it and stuff, but we recite that and we, you know, we, we use the Lord's prayer and like, can, you know, corporate confession of sins and public absolution and, um, the way we do the Lord's Supper, all these kind of things, we sort of borrow, we, we kind of borrow all that from the historic liturgy, um, readings, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and because we think it's valuable, we're like, well, this is worth something. Like the, like the church did this like for, you know, the first 1800 years without anyone doing anything else different. You know, like everyone was doing this stuff only, only since really, now like in america have we like have we like thrown off some of that stuff um and so who am i to say you know that these things aren't aren't valuable or good like do i want to be connected to that i want to confess the same faith that they were that you know that john you know that saint john Christ, you know christostom confessed and augustine confessed and uh and luther confessed and all that kind of stuff so so we borrow all that so that's kind of what we mean by the historic faith person, like like a call back to the roots of what this faith is. Like this is not a not trying to do anything necessarily new or innovative. We're we're just trying to would say something and people say this all the time, dude. Like, oh like we have people come in and they will very they'll they'll be like, like, I just love this message. Um, like I or or even they'll even get more personal that and say, like, I love your message. And the thing is, it's not my met. Like I'm not, I've not uh, reinvented the wheel here. Like I've not done anything new. <laughs> um, I have bar, I have stolen everything, like from those who came before. Like so, um, it's all borrowed. All I've done is like taking it and putting it in and put it into a a context that has made it understandable. So. Um, what we do is we're historically what we say. Another thing we say all the time is that we're historically rooted, but we're culturally aware. And we try to meet those two things. So, um, so we understand that like, these are things from the past that we want to be attached to, but this is also 2016. So, um, and I don't have a problem. Like careful what i say here i don't have a problem with vestments uh, if you don't know what that word means um like sort of a liturgical garb so like you would see like priests wearing robes and they have albs and stuff like actually i think that stuff is kind of badass but um but in my context um it doesn't really work like i'm in the bible belt and and uh, I, I got a church that's like 90 percent millennial uh which is like what every other like every other church wants and somehow i got it which by the way the downside of that is they don't have any money so uh you're doing everything on a shoestring budget just saying you're praying for millennials get ready to do it on the cheap uh but um but so like because it's the context i know that me putting on a dress is a bad call so i so we don't do that like we're culturally aware i understand what i'm working with like the, the people that i'm working with and so like our worship is like hymns that we've like redone and 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 sort of made more like folky, you know, um, indie kind of thing and that kind of stuff. We um, so 
you know, we've tried to make it where it looks like something that, that we haven't forgotten the time and place that we live, but also we haven't forgotten where we came from. And it's not just a clever slogan where, where the, that many churches want to do and say like, oh yeah, like, like we're rooted, like standing on the shoulders of giants, like, but they don't have any of those things to say, no, we actually want to do that. We want to take the things that they put in place for us and figure out how to incorporate them in, in our context. So, um, so the historic faith for sinners and saints um, certainly means that, that we have a, a, we're calling back, harkening back to a faith that came before us, a, a confession that came before us, before us. And that confession is the sinner saint part, which is um, that, God is great enough to save sinners like you. In fact, not just to, like not just to save you, to saint sinners like you. So like whatever you are, um, however bad you are, however good you are, um, we this is the faith. It's it's for the the worst of people. It's for the best of people. It takes the worst of people and makes them righteous um, by pure gift. Uh, that Christ is still enough for the worst um and you can bring your worst in here and we have a historic faith that can handle it um that's so that's that's kind of our our whole that's our whole church um methodology in a in a nutshell i guess or a very large nutshell because that was a long <laughs> sure but segueing off of that because i love that but i remember um well last year you gave a talk at the uh, chf orlando and it was entitled The Good News That You Can't Hold Fast. Uh-huh. And um, not to just, you know, pump you up and flatter you, but I really just loved that talk. And especially because you were talking about Second Timothy chapter 2 and you were especially verse 13, 12 and 13 and stuff and just what those verses mean. And um, for those of you listening, if you haven't already listened to that, you have to immediately go and listen to that talk because I just love it so much. And I'm going to put it in the show notes. But throughout it, you sort of tell the story behind the Christ hold fast name. And I was wondering if you could just sort of give like the brief synopsis of that. Yeah. I mean, growing up in church, um, one of the problems in, and then also transitioning into a young adult, um, I, I struggled with assurance badly. And I, and here's the thing, man, like, I, by all standards, by most people's standards, like I was like a pretty decent person. I mean, like I thought for sure I was going to hell because I was, um, you know, cause I like smoke cigarettes sometimes and stuff like that, you know? I mean, like, so I, I just thought that I didn't pray enough. I didn't read the Bible enough. I mean, the, the crazy thing is, is that like, I totally believed that Jesus Christ was, you know, the only son of God that he became incarnate, that he died on the sins or died on the cross for my sins. And that I needed to believe that to go to heaven and have them all forgiven. I believed all that. I believed that while believing I was going to hell, which sounds crazy. Like I was like, I didn't have any any doubts about that. Um, And, and the, and the reason was, is that I just didn't understand that like that his righteousness was mine and so I, and all, all of like, this is weird, but like most of my, like any like low grade rebellion I had as a teenager was actually as a, res, not a result, as a result of um, me, like just kind of like shirking off Christianity, but me actually feeling like I just couldn't do it. Okay. Like I'm not good enough to be a Christian. Right. 
and um yeah and 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 that so the Christ fast name came later like as a pastor even um because i think that like this is something that like everyone still struggles with i still struggle with it i still feel this way um i have to i have to fight this theology all the time that says that god's acceptance of me is still somehow based on like what i am or am not doing uh, i still think that way yep I, if I don't actively war against that, I will believe that mm-hmm. because that's how the world works. Everything else is screaming at me that that's the way it is mm-hmm. because it's that way in almost every other facet of life. So mm-hmm. why is God different? Right. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I heard a guy preaching on that text and, uh, and he was just telling me like, uh, you know, he's saying that the problem, like we were just talking about Peter's denial and talking about how uh, Peter's problem is that he couldn't hold fast. And uh, I just had a miserable day. <laughs> I was like, I was, I was sucking at being a pastor and a husband that day. And um, and I just thought like, man, I'm terrible at holding fast at well. Like, I mean, like if this is, if like, if my salvation is dependent on like, on me holding fast to Christ, like this is the bad because like my, my, my grip is not that great. I mean, like I can only white knuckle things for like so long and I, I'm going to, I'm going to fall off this thing. Hmm. Um, and yeah. And I, and then uh, I sort of whispered those words. Um, I kind of broke down. Uh, it was in my truck and I broke down and, and uh, sort of like in a three word prayer, um, just prayed Christ hold fast. Like, I mean, like that, like, I mean, the, the whole idea behind it is that like, if, if you're not the one holding fast to me, uh, I'm, I'm shafted. Like I, this is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't, I can't do it. And, and it doesn't mean that we don't hold fast. You know, some people have said this. They're like, well, I mean like the scriptures say like hold fast to this confession and hold fast. And I'm like, it, it doesn't mean that like we don't, but like, think about it like this. Um, if, uh, if I, so I have a daughter and if I pick her up, like she will grab onto me. She will like put her arms around my neck, and like, I'll, and I'll, and I can carry her. I can carry her right down. Like, well, maybe we're uh, in the store, and I'm carrying her around, and um, she's holding on to me. But like, but I'm holding on to her. Like, I'm doing all the work. I mean, like, so like, if I let go of her, she is not going to last the entire trip at the store. Like, hanging on around my neck. Like, that's me and God. Like, yeah. Like when he scoops me up. Of course, like, yes, I will, like, cling to him. But the security of that is is based in him, not me. Much like the reason my, da- my daughter is hanging on my neck, but she knows that, that the... Uh, that the security of this, of this being carried, the security that is found and, and being carted around, like this holding is me, mm. not her. Now that's the message though, that needs to be preached. And it's so often it's not heard. So often the message that's heard a lot of the times in mainstream pulpits is here's what you got to do to, you know, as you said, grip God stronger, or here's some more encouragement to keep white knuckling or whatever. But just as you said, it's, it's, that's not the message that changes lives. That's the, actually the message that enslaves a lot of lives. And the message that Christ hold fast, even when you don't, is the message of, you know, not 
of Christ Hold Fast. It's the message of all the people, like just what you're saying and what your church stands for. And it's the message of all those guys before you. And that's the whole reason why they were so passionate about it. And, and that's the whole reason why we're here pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is like, that's the message of Jesus. Amen. That That's, that's what it all boils down to is um, when Jesus says, you know, uh, when he says like, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Like he's not joking. Like, that's, a, that's a real thing. Like, he yeah. really said that and he really meant it. Mm-hmm. That you can do. And, and he, when he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, like he's not lying. So if you go to the house of God, if you go into the church and you leave there feeling like this yoke is not very easy and this burden is not very light. Like if it ain't easy and it ain't light, it ain't Jesus. Like that that's as simple as it gets. Like that's I'm sorry. Like you've been given something else because uh he's not lying to you when he says that. <laughs> so like go find that. And if you're if you're thinking about going into ministry, go preach that. Go preach that. It's, and it, and this doesn't mean that like oh like that means that G, like that you're just like super permissive of sin. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Like it just means that I have I have a like a solution to it that's outside of you that doesn't involve you uh, defeating and conquering a bunch of things, but I actually have like a real solution that can that can forgive, absolve, and and uh, and redeem you from it. Uh, the and that actually produces the the most uh, sanctification um, that 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 can be produced is is this message of the gospel. So. Um, yeah, like pre- preach a message that not, you know, don't don't lay off on the law, man. Preach that thing full force. Like crank it up to 11 and let people know they're sinners and let people know they've fallen short. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of preaching the law. Um, I, I say it this way. Um, I'm not like a grace guy. I'm a law gospel guy, which means that like I want like when people come to the church, I want to break your legs with the law but I don't want you to like try to like walk out of there on a broken leg. I want to break your legs with the law. I want to strip you of all your self-sufficiency and let you know that you're a broken, messed up sinner. But I will not like break the legs of the sheep and send them out on anything less than the shoulders of the good shepherd. Like that's the way it has to be. And so like you have to know that your legs are busted. Mm-hmm. But then I, as, this is how I view my job in the pulpit that my job is to like say like your legs are broken like have the law reveal that to you like you can't do this you cannot achieve righteousness and to break your legs with that law like you have sinned against god and thought word and deed you have sinned against your neighbor you're like this is most certainly true um but then to send you out on the shoulders of christ um and and say that he's done it he's done it all he's sufficient and it's over uh that's the job that's the job description in the pulpit for me um it's not just to tell you that god loves you because that's like a that's like a halfway message it's nice but uh but also to have you take a good hard look in the mirror and say like man it we're not doing this well (laughs) um and like and that makes the good news all the all the better because uh, once we come to grips and we set, when we audit ourselves, we audit our righteousness and we're like, this righteousness is completely false. Well, all these good works, they're not even close to enough. Like I've audited and, and I have come up lacking. 
um, that makes that good news if it is finished, like um, actually good news instead of just information. Mm. And that's the message too of eternity because I, and I want to touch on the law gospel thing, but I also remember in your talk, you also sort of reemphasize this point is because the message of eternity is something that is, it should get people in the mindset of thinking about eternal matters. And in your talk, I remember you had this great quote that has always stuck with me ever since you, ever since you said it is, um, you asked the question, what if we preach to everyone as if they're dying? And, you know, you wouldn't preach a message of here's some things that you got to do. You would preach the message of just exactly what you're saying here. You're actually not even dying. You're dead. But thankfully, Christ is your life and he's taken your death on himself. That's the message you would preach to someone who's dying. Yeah. I love that point. Yeah, I find it. I remember thinking uh, that, um, like, man, people preach. Like, I was kind of thinking about, like, like preaching the gospel. And it's like, at, at a certain point, like sort of everyone gets the gospel, like all preachers or Christians get the gospel right. And it's pure. If you want to hear the gospel in its purity, go find someone who's dying. Mm. Because if you go into like a hospice, um, like you can be like a total legalist. And like that dude will preach a dude in heaven on his death. Like, like Christ is suddenly all sufficient. <laughs> because like this guy's got seconds to live. So it's like, dude, here's Jesus believe it it's done mm. and yeah. you're like why is that different for everyone else that's not dying like why why is that like that's that's very concerning like is it isn't that just the message that's not just like the message to the guy who's like you know if you roll up on a car wreck and like a guy's like dying bleeding out and you're like oh no i better give him the pure gospel everyone else kind of gets like an 80 percent gospel because they have like some time to get better <laughs> like that's not that what is that like, and um yeah and so i i think that the gospel message must be the same for the small child or for the dying man. It's got to be, it's the same. It's, it's, there's only one message. And so if, if it's not that message, uh, then, then, it, then it's something else. It's it, you've, uh, you've neutered it uh, with, with some, with some room for your own um, merit, uh, your own progress. You've, you've, you've create, you've carved out space in the gospel message for something that has to do with man. Mm. And, uh, and that's no good. Uh, that's not, that's an insufficient gospel. It's not a gospel that's going to, um, ultimately set people free and, and right. throw them completely on Christ. That's right. So true. And I, and going back to what you said though, a little bit earlier, you were talking about how you're a, law gospel guy and as someone who didn't grow up with that distinction and who has only recently really sort of um found himself in that sort of mindset um i'm really loving what i'm learning but to others who may have not aren't familiar with this sort of theology and the rich history that it has can you sort of um talk about that and what that means to be sort of a law gospel guy yeah so um the there a lot of times you'll hear people um and sort of gospel driven movements so, so they'll be like oh man like he really gets grace he really gets great and that's great and I, and I know what people mean when they say that um but um the 
the this it's not all uh, the message isn't just like hey it's like this this statement is true all is grace that's true um and like in that sense like i'm a grace guy like i love the grace of god i preach the grace of god like i get accused of like a you know of cheap grace and abusing grace and all that kind of stuff um all the time uh however like the message is not simply like god like the grace of god is there for you like god is love god is mercy that's 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 part of it. That's like a key, key part of it. It's like the, it's the, and it's the final part of it. It's the last word of it. It is finished is the final word that God has to say to you that I've done it all. Um, on the front end of that, um, there is a word of law. So, so Luther says that the man who can rightly divide law and gospel is a chief theologian. Um, assuming that's true. Uh, maybe it's not. I think it is. Uh, but uh, at the very least, it's interesting. It's an interesting statement. And what it means is the distinction between law and gospel is that God speaks in two words. And this is reduced primarily to scripture that uh, in the Bible that you can't read it correctly unless you understand sort of that God is saying two things and they're, they're distinctly different things. Um, so the same God that says, be holy as I am holy says, I have made you holy. The same God that says, do this and you shall live, says, I've done this, live. Mm. And it's the same God. And they're both equally true. And they're both equally good. Like, so it's not, it's not that like, the law is bad and the gospel is good. It's not like uh, yin and yang. It's not, it's, not like, like the, it's not like the force in Star Wars where like, there's going to be like, a dark side and a good side. The law is not like that. The law is good. It tells you good things. It says, like, be holy as I am holy. Like, that's a good thing. The problem is you're not good. Hmm. I'm not good. And so I hear the law that says, like, okay. And the law is, be- is sort of like um, more most uh, – it's, it's, it's most boiled down or, more, or most clearly – show like the best example of law like the whole god the whole bible kind of talks in these two words but is the ten commandments and so you have do this do this do this don't do this don't do this don't do this right like those are commands and they're good i mean like do not murder is good do not commit adultery is good do not covet's good uh problem is is that you're like a lying murderous adulterous coveter and like that's that's bad it's not a good thing um and so what the law then does that good law which Paul calls a ministry of death. Like, that's interesting. Like, think about this. Like, that sounds bad. But he calls it a ministry of death. So it's like a, it's like a, it's a God, a God ordained working of death to you. And this is what the law does. It kills you. Mm. As you hear it, it doesn't mean that the ministry of death is a good ministry of death because the law of god comes to you and shows you exactly how much better god is than you and how high and lofty his standards are how righteous he is how holy he is and how wretched and sinful you are um and says like you have not lived up you have not done enough you are not good enough you cannot approach him who dwells in unspeakable light you can't do it like you'll never get there you can't climb this ladder um and that's breaks you down and it's horrifying and like and you hear that condemnation and like we know that then the wages of sin is death and it reveals it that you're a sinner and you have punched the clock 
like as since the day you were born, you have punched the clock and the paycheck is death. You've earned it. Uh, and then a word of gospel comes in and says, but I have come and I have lived this life perfectly. I have obeyed all the commandments. I am holy as he is holy. And I'm going to make myself low. And I am going to assume all your sin to myself. I'm going to become it, not just bear it. I'm going to become that sin. Um, I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to cash that check for you. Um, and I'm going to gift you all my righteousness. Um, it's finished. It's done. Like I've done everything that needs to be to be done. You are right with God. Um, when you contrast those two, like something. Else, so what happens is, is that. The word of law comes, reveals what we are and the word and what we must. Well, the word of law comes in and says this, this you must do, but we can never do it. And the word of gospel comes in and says, this is done. Believe it. And, um, and, and if you don't understand how to read the Bible that way, it's not just the 10 commandments, but like all kinds of things in the Bible, um, that where God is saying, like, do this, it is a sincere do like we ought to do it. But but when we fail, um, we have to remember that other word that comes in and that said that says like I've done this for you, I've given you my righteousness, I, I I've paid this too, and so um the whole scriptures speak in this way and there's this dance that goes on, where God is is saying, uh, saying do's and dones, oh. and uh, and that's and so that's that's uh, I think that is the, um the most important hermeneutic to employ while preaching. Mm. Um, it's not to act like God hasn't said that we are to do anything or that he hasn't like put forth requirements. He has. Um, and it's to know that those were those, but it's, but you can't make those his final word. Uh, preach those requirements. Tell me, tell them, uh, tell them, tell the people that uh, to be holy as God is holy is what he demands. Go like, yes, that's true. Uh, and how you doing with that? Oh, you suck at that. Like me too. Okay. So we're like, we're all like not holy. Got it. Like we suck at that. Um, so uh, what, what are we going to do? And, and then you bring in the gospel and then say like, he's, He's seen you in our, he's seen you, he's seen me, he's seen us in our condition and he has done it for us. Um, that's where freedom is, man. Um, and you leave it there. Don't bring back in the law on the back end either. Don't like law, gospel, law, sandwich that sucker. Like that, <laughs> that don't do that. But like, law and gospel, not like law, gospel, law. Like, all right, here's what you're supposed to do. You're not good at it. Here's what Jesus did. He freed you from it. Now let's all go do this thing. Like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Like that will flow naturally out of that message of good news, but don't like give the gospel with the right hand and snatch it away with the left. <laughs> That's a very important distinction. I, I'm again, I'm really trying to immerse myself. So what would you say is the best resource for someone to sort of learn about this distinction? Um, sort of the go-to standard is a book called The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel. It also is published by a different title called God's Two Words um, by a guy named C.F.W. Walter, who's long dead now. Um, but it's a little heady. Um, it's it's a pretty it's it's uh, it's a book of a, it's a, it's, a, it's compiled lectures that were given at a seminary. 
Um, and uh, the language is a little bit arduous sometimes and things like that. We've published a bunch of stuff from that and kind of reworked some of it um, on Christ Will Fast. So you could look up some of that if you wanted to, if you if you just kind of search um, search CFW Walther and you'll be able to, it'll come up and you'll be able, I think we've published about 10 of those now, uh, 10 of the lectures. But um, maybe a more concise way to do it and a little more um, uh, friendlier uh, read, uh, um, our buddy uh, R.J. Grunewald has published a book called The Art of Law and Gospel. It's very good. It's kind of based on that, and um, but it's, it's you know smaller, more modern language. Uh, it's a, it's great. It's a great great read. I highly I highly recommend it. And I think you can get the PDF of that. Still, you can still get it uh, for nothing. I think if you want, you can go over to his website. I think it's R.J. Gruny. Uh, so that'd be R.J. G. R. U. N. E. Um, dot com and uh and i think you can get the pdf for that for free or you can go on amazon and get it um there's a plug you're welcome rj you owe me <laughs> uh, but uh, that that's uh i've given that book i've I've recommended that a bunch of times but i think that that will kind of get your um that'll kind of whet your appetite i assume you've read that brad i have yes uh right. twice already so <laughs> yeah, great. it's a great little resource you know and, and if you decide like wow that was awesome I think I want to like go chomp on something that's that's bigger. Then you can go check out CFW Walther, and if you feel like doing the doing the heavy lifting. So, what other books would you say have really impacted you in the way you approach ministry? Um, you know, I this might sound weird. Um, I read a ton of theology, but I don't read a lot lot of ministry how tos. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I have favorite books um, and things like that, but like, yeah, for some reason, you know, there's books on like church planning and, uh, you know, you know, whatever, uh, marks of a healthy church and all this. And like, I've never been able to get in that st into that stuff. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad. I think that's just maybe just me. Uh, uh, most, of, I'm, I'm a kind of a hands-on guy. And, mm -hmm. and so like I immerse myself in theology. I read, I read a ton um, but it's all the it's all theology, and so um, what I've ended up doing is most of the stuff that, as I figured out, like what I do at my church and our methodology and what what works and what doesn't and what we like and what we don't like. Um, I've got a great group of guys, um, one at the church, but also outside of the church. So I'm my pat my other friends who are like um, are also pastors all over the country, you know. Um, um, we just, we just toss this, we just chop it up, man. And, um, it's like, okay, man, like I got like, what are you doing? And what's, you know, what, what, what are you, what's, what are you doing, um, for this? You know, uh, what would tell me what you've done lately that you regret? <laughs> so I don't do it, you know? Um, and so that, that's where I've gained the most helpful stuff. And, uh, you know, some of those, um, I got and there's a, a kind of a small list of those guys that that I sort of talk through this stuff. Um, uh, I co-host a podcast called um, Thirty Minutes in the New Testament um, with uh, a pastor in New York named uh, Eric Sorensen, and um, we talk multiple times a week. I mean, I probably talk to him more than any other person um, that doesn't live here, or you know, that like, besides my wife and elders or something, but. Um, <laughs> multiple times a week um, and not about like what we're going to talk about the podcast. We just do that. Um, but about, about church and like, and like in pastoral ministry and stuff. And so 
you know, I think that like having guy that, that, that that's just, and like I said, I think that, I think that like, you gotta be careful in this kind of stuff, like one size fits all. Like, so for me, um, when I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not um, drawn to sort of ministry books, how to's like, I'd rather just talk to a guy that I know um, that knows me, that, that knows the areas I'm strong in, knows the areas I'm weak in. And, um, and we can, and we can kind of like talk through some of that stuff and figure out like, man, I, I, you know, I, what, I suck at this, you know, like, like, what do you, what do you do with that? And, um, that's, that's been, that's, that's been helpful. Uh, for me. And so, yeah, I wish I had like a go-to like, bro, if you're going to plant a church or if you're going to go into ministry, if you're going to be like, you know, uh, you, you know, think about being a pastor, this is the book. I don't really have that. Um, if you want just like theological resources, I could, I got lots of those. <laughs> yeah, to- well, I was going to say like, I'm very similar to you. I, I, I don't read a lot of like spiritual or ministry how to's. I'm more theological too. And I'm very inefficient in my reading. I read like six or seven books at a time just because this title looks attractive and I read it. And when this one looks attractive. And so I keep, I don't know, I'm very inefficient that way, but like, one of the ones that I'm really finding impactful right now is um, Gerard Forty's uh, where God meets man. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the middle of that one. And so, yeah, just like what's on your shelf, what's on your shelf right now. Um, So I'll, I'll I'll do some, uh, some older guys and some, uh, and then some, some, maybe some newer guys. Um, So yeah. uh, So Gerhard Forty is a, um, he's great. Um, I, you know, actually, this is real easy to do. Uh, if you went over to trinitychurchnwa.com, there is a like 10 books our pastor recommends. Like these, are, And uh, I'll see if I can remember what they are. I, I Apparently, I recommend them. So, um, <clears throat> But uh, I know on that list is um, Gerard Ferdy's uh, On Being a Theologian of the Cross. Um, I, I love that book. I think it's incredible. Um, uh, other books that um so books that are like really shaped me um martin luther's uh commentary on galatians is probably my favorite book of all time even though it's a commentary of the bible so it might not count uh <laughs> another book but in another work of luther's uh, on the freedom of a christian i mean like i seriously believe that like every christian not just pastors not just people considering ministry like every christian should read luther's uh on the freedom of a christian it's short um it's about you it's about your freedom uh, it's, it's incredible um c.s lewis the abolition of man is one of my favorites um there's a book um christian life cross or glory by um stephen hine uh, it's an incredible book it'll just radically reshape the way you think about the christian life um so yeah, I mean, like all, all of those. There's a book uh, by a guy named Jack Kilcrease called "The Self Donation of God." That is for those of you who are like ready to do some like real like. If you're ready to get into it, yeah, you're ready to do some like like re- like reread sentences a lot and like reread entire paragraphs because you're like, what did I just read? Uh, but if you if you're into that, like which I, what I am into that, uh, <laughs> yeah, Jack Kilcrease and like the title the self donation of God, you know, that's good. <laughs> it's about God donating himself. Uh, so, um, yeah, but there is a, there is a list of books. I, I can't remember all the books that are on there, but, uh, those are some of them. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, so yeah, all of those, um, 
uh, I'm a big fan of uh, um, Preston Sprinkle's books. If you're looking for some like popular level kind of stuff, like uh, dude's books are great. Um, you know, specifically, um, you know, people to be loved is great. His new book go is really good. It's on, uh, it's on discipleship. Um, it's, I think it's real practical for pastors as they're, as they're thinking through, I mean, that's a little bit of a ministry how to, I suppose. Um, we're just kind of rethinking how we think about discipleship and stuff. And, uh, it's a great book. Um, so I, I love Preston Sprinkle and, and, and the, and the work that he does, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan of his. I like most everything that Jared C. Wilson has written. Um, I like his stuff. So I'm trying to think of some, some modern contemporary authors now. Um, Elise Fitzpatrick, of course I got a shout out to Elise. Hey, she wrote, she's writing the forward to my book. So I better say something nice about her. Hey, her new book on heaven home. Fantastic. Amazing with all the, with like the, like all the truckloads of crappy books about like going to heaven and like whatever's happening there home, her book on heaven, even though the cover, sorry, Elise looks pretty girly. (laughs) If you're a dude, don't be afraid because that book's legit. Like, so I, I, I'm not just saying that, like that book is legit. Like you should read, if you haven't re- Brad, if you've not read home by Elise Fitzpatrick, you should do it. It's, it is awesome. I'm putting it in my Amazon cart right now. All right. It's awesome. <laughs> Get that done. Yeah. Well, um, just before we close, I, I like to ask this question just because I think it's important and we've probably talked about it and touched on it as we've talked, but um, as I said in the introduction, the Majesty's Men as a whole and as a, you know, as its own little collective is just really geared towards in emphasizing the message of the gospel of Christ crucified towards young men. And if you, I, let me ask you, if you were given an audience of young men and were only allowed to say one thing to them, what would that one thing be? that more than likely your greatest failure is not in your rearview mirror mm. and that Christ is still sufficient when it does come. I think that um, when we're young, we, we set out to like conquer the world for Jesus we're going to, we're going to go give it, we're going to go surrender it all for Jesus. Um, and that can lead us to a place um, of, of exhaustion and burnout. And, uh, and you might find yourself in, uh, in some messed up junk. <laughs> hmm. And um, like Christ is there, like he's there in the gutter, he's there and, and, and like you find out then that um, you're, you're taking the world for Jesus. Like is actually not at all what he's called you to You're that Jesus hasn't um, like stop trying to, you don't need to die for Jesus. Like he already did that for you. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, but that, there, but that like have a theology that has room for that, you know, like maybe not, you know, like may, maybe you're going to like just crush it from here on out. And that's great you do but um i know that when we're zealous i I know i was i know in my 20s man i um early 20s i was ready to go and like just tear it up and um 
I had to eat it pretty hard. I had to face plant pretty good um, to be, um, you know, to be brought to a place where like the gospel of Christ crucified for my sins, um, not my sins in the past, but like my current ones um, was all I had. And that when I, when I got up out of that, like it has remained uh, all I have. And uh, make that all you have early on. Like, don't come in with anything. Like, don't don't come in with anything else. Like, like come in with Christ. Like, He's all you got, man. Um, hopefully, you don't have to learn that the hard way. But uh, but if you do, He is there. His grace is sufficient. And uh, yeah, so. And Christ hold fast. That's it. He's got you. He's got you. Um, some people got as the quote DC talk. Some people got to learn the hard way. <laughs> we should end yeah, there. showing my age right there. <laughs> Dan, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you being uh, willing to take the time for me and uh, being open and sharing all that stuff. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. It was a blast. And thanks again to Dan for taking the time to come on the show today and share his passion for the gospel of God. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, and be sure to go check out ChristHoldFast.org if you haven't already for tons of great articles and podcasts and videos. You can find all that linked in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for staying with me and for listening. If you like what you just heard, be sure and follow Ministry Minded on Twitter, and you can also subscribe to the show in iTunes and on SoundCloud. Thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show, and thank you for listening and commenting and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode.